0: the most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to the Saturday edition of the Best of Fight Back from the week that was. We started the week on holiday Monday talking about our bucket lists, a series of accomplishments we would like to complete before we kick the bucket. The experts say a good bucket list is balanced and includes personal and family goals, travel goals, milestones and skills. One of those experts is life and personal coach Cared Erk She joined me on Holiday Monday to talk about life goals and checking off boxes on our bucket lists. People seem
2: to be filling their days with all kinds of noise and time flies by quickly when you do that and then you wake up 20 years from now and you realize you haven't done the things you wanted to do. So there's a a greater awareness of people wanting to get things done in their lives And, and also, you know, the boomers are driving, drive a lot of it. And um, and and they're getting on in years. (laughs) I'm one of them, so I know that. (laughs) So we become aware of the things that we really want to accomplish. Yeah,
1: it's it is uh, ironic too, isn't it? That the Boomer generation, the Zoomers, uh, we call them here at Zoomer Media, the 45 Mm -hmm. plus generation, they've always led the way. With, uh, with the new, with the new ideas, uh, with the next wave of thought. And a- as you get into the final chapter of your life or, you know, the final couple of chapters, you're thinking back, you're looking ahead and thinking, what do I want to accomplish before my life is over? So it really is no surprising that this has been driven by the older generation.
2: Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, they've got a lot they want to get done still and uh, and they don't sit still. So, uh, you know, it's good for everybody to have goals regardless of how old you are. I think when you start writing things down, it starts to make them more concrete and you can start sort of make your plan ahead of time. When you're younger, you don't think quite so much about the future as you do as you get into your 40s and 50s. But even when you're young, it's really great to set financial goals and travel goals. And maybe, you know, people have relationship goals. I mean, there's all obviously an endless amount of goals you could set, but it's really important to kind of map them out um, so that you can start to chart your own course. And some of them you can take off because I think sometimes people forget that their goals are their own. So we often live in guilt. Many people don't want to goals because they're afraid if they don't accomplish them, they're going to beat themselves up. You got to remember these goals are yours and you can change them at any time, at any moment in your life. Do
1: you have a personal bucket list yourself,
2: Cared? Oh uh, yeah, I always have uh, goals that I, I, what I do is I, I map them out from financial goal, personal goal, travel goal, health goal, Every the beginning of every year, I do it. And then I I make make a list of how I want to do that. And then I drill it down. So a fitness goal, maybe I want to cycle um, 1500 kilometers in the summer, I'll I'll make that up. Um, So what I do is I I map out the summer, and I kind of go, how many, you know, how many times do I have to cycle through a week to make that happen? So pare it down to the chewable bits. So it doesn't seem so overwhelming. Right. And every day when you go out, you do, you know, 30k or 40k or 20k doesn't matter, but you start to add it up. And by the end of you know, three months or whatever you've got your goal. So I mean, I think that's something people should take into consideration when they're setting big goals. Sometimes they feel overwhelmed by those goals, particularly if it's a career goal, for example. You know, it could be four or five years out. Pare it down so that you do chewable steps at a time, and you wake up one morning and it's done.
1: Cared if you could just leave us with some thoughts, some inspiration, our life coach here on uh, Zoomer Radio's Fight Back today, about making a bucket list if you haven't done that. How to start, how to fulfill it.
2: Yeah, I would just uh, go through the different aspects of your life, your career, your finances, etc., and make a couple of notes about things that you'd really like to accomplish. Keep it simple. Don't make it too long. And then another fun thing to do is maybe create... uh, People have probably heard of dream boards before, but they're very... It's a very cool thing to do and, you know, cut and paste and put pictures up of people you want to meet or places you'd like to go. So there's a visual aspect to it. And if you have a partner in life, if you're married, you know, or you're living with someone, have them do it, too. So, But let them do it on their own so that you guys can compare notes because you'll be surprised that some people have things they want to do in life that they've never
1: shared with you. And maybe you can inspire each other that way. That was life and personal coach, Cared Urquhart. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. The number of drownings every year in Ontario is staggering. As of this past Monday, 58 people had drowned in the province. And we are right now in the midst of the peak drowning time in Ontario, from the middle of July to the middle of August. But the experts will tell you almost all of these deaths are preventable. Barbara Byers is Public Education and Research Director with Life Saving Society Ontario. She joined me in studio
0: on holiday Monday day. It seems from looking at the stats and reading the news reports for years, I think many people are impulsive. They're, we're also excited for summer, we have, live in a cold weather country where it's so cold in the winter and we just love this our happy time of year. And I think for many people, they're just so excited and so happy and so hot that when they're in a beautiful lake or they're at a pool, um, they just want to enjoy it. And I think for many people, they look around and they think, this doesn't look hard. Like, look at all these people. They're in the water. They're swimming. They're having fun. I can do that what they may not realize is they really need to have some skills and some training. You need to learn to swim before you can actually swim. We're not, you know, uh, innate swimmers. We have to learn these skills. So I think it's a combination of people being so impulsive, so excited, so enthusiastic, and just wanting to be in the game and do what everybody's doing. And it's so fun and it's so pleasurable to do it in the summer. And then I think the other piece is that many people think, well, you know, bad things aren't going to happen to me. I don't need to wear a life jacket because I've boated my whole life and I've never worn one. Well, just because you haven't for the first, you know, 50 years of your life doesn't mean you won't in the future. Uh, or I can still drink and boat. It's different than driving a car. Or uh, I can boat at night because I'll be fine. I can look after myself. I can take care of myself. So there's this feeling of I'm invincible. I can look after myself measured with this. This is my happy time, my um, my fun time. So people don't want to think about bad things that could happen. But as you said, uh, almost all drownings are preventable. So it's very sad when you hear these stories.
1: What is there any way to calculate what percentage of people in Ontario know how to swim or don't know how to swim? Uh, we've done surveys
0: over the years and about 40% of people said they've had some swimming instruction. So it kind of depends on what you have. Like you need more than a couple of lessons, but forty um, percent is generally the case. One area that we're focusing on uh, quite intently with the Life Saving Society is uh, new Canadians, because mm-hmm. we know that many new Canadians come from countries where learning to swim to water safety is not part of their their culture. Their I was experience. going to ask you about that. So they come here, and maybe they're they're from a desert country or landlocked, and they come to Canada with more fresh water than any other country in the world. World, and they want to embrace the Canadian experience, but they're so busy getting a place to live, a job, their kids in school, they just may not even know that how important it is to get swimming lessons for their family, So that's a really important focus of ours. And uh, that's part of our school-based Swim to Survive program, where we uh, provide a, a program for grade three and grade seven students to get them minimum swimming skills. And what about their parents and grandparents? Yeah. Well, that's the challenge. We, we do have a program uh, called Family Swim to Survive that uh, some municipalities offer. And it's a way to get the parents to come with the kids and just to kind of learn a bit about it. But it. There are lessons for adults too. Some people think, well, if I didn't learn as a child, then that's it. I've missed my chance. That's not true because uh, many municipalities have adult lessons taught by instructors who are used to t- teaching adults with other adults. You don't have to take lessons with, you know, seven-year-old kids. There's also private lessons. So I always encourage uh, parents or adults, if they don't know how to swim or if they're young adults and they're going to have kids, it's so important to know so you can enjoy and have fun with your kids, but also be there to, uh, to you know, look after them and lifeguard them when they're in the water.
1: One more thing about cottage living, because there's still a lot of cottaging to go this summer. It's your cottage. People are coming to visit. How do you ensure that your guests stay safe?
0: Well, I think... Um it's really important to, to sort of talk about the safety practices at your cottage. Like, for example, um, a family may come with young children and if they're not used to cottaging, they may not have life jackets for their little ones. And, of course, life jackets are great when you're in a boat, for sure. But they're also really important to put on non-swimmers and young children. So if you have a cottage and a family with kids come up or your grandchildren, have those young kids, those, um, say, under, under eight wear a life jacket anytime they leave the cottage because they. you may not think it's swimming time, but they remember how much fun it is in the water and they'll want to go there. So just articulate to everyone what your safety practices are so um, it's a safe and fun weekend. Barbara
1: Byers, public education and research director with Life Saving Society Ontario. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. The tragic events in the United States last weekend, the mass shootings in El Paso and Dayton, prompted an in-depth discussion with our Tuesday strategy panel. While Libby was on vacation, I was joined by political commentator Patrick Gossage, chairman media profile, NDP strategist Kim Ryan right principal right strategies and John Capobianco senior vice president and senior partner Fleischman Hillard Highroad they all offered their personal takes on US president's monday address to his nation after the two mass
3: shootings there is a time of healing, and, and the nation, uh, especially when it happens in the U.S., look to their president, be it Obama, be it George Bush and previously, but certainly Trump, to have some words of healing and and some words of, of being able to sort of, you know... Put things in perspective, and I think he tried to do that. But in, in the only way that the President Trump can do it, and he's, I think he failed on that miserably. Uh, and I think you're seeing a lot of folks who are now reacting to it to a point where they don't want him to go to El Paso. They don't want him to go to Ohio uh, as he's as he's going to do uh, tomorrow or the next day. Um, so I think I think his words were were probably. Um, uh, right in some context by naming white supremacy and saying that it's it's wrong and it's it's you know it should be eliminated Um, but he didn't go far enough to do the healing that a president should be doing at a time that he needed to do it
4: Kim your thoughts if we didn't have mass shootings in the US practically every single day then maybe maybe it might have been enough to offer words of comfort but by the time he finally ends up in this mass shooting place, there will likely be another one on U.S. soil. I have family in the U.S. and well, I understand the right to bear arms in a well-organized militia, that's not what this is. And when you start to look at the clips and the magazines that that were being used in these shootings those aren't for hunting animals those are for hunting people and until we start wrapping our heads around that and until there is political will to reinstate the bans they had uh, pre-2004 and move forward on real comprehensive uh, bans on guns and ammunition and all of the iterations therein goodness, well, great, we don't have fully automatic weapons allowed in the US. By the time you put all of these improvised component pieces and straight off the shelf component pieces, they might as well be. They can shoot hundreds of bullets at a time. You can massacre people. I don't think we really can appreciate how much kids aren't worried about whether or not they're going to have a pimple or a prom date at school, they are literally wondering if they are going to survive the day. What kind of world is that? And I look—I have a five-year-old niece and a -a two-and-a-half-year-old niece who live in New Orleans. That terrifies me about what the kind of world they're going to look into. Political leadership is required. And there is nothing more that makes me crazy in US and in Canada politics of saying, wow, these are really hard conversations to be had. Sure they are. But it's political leadership.
1: And what did you think, Patrick Gossage, about uh, the leadership that the U.S. president tried to offer yesterday?
3: Well, I, I, I'm not as eloquent as my two panelists, uh, um, but you know, I, I did think, and I watched Trump Trump's uh, remarks several times. And of course, i you've glued to CNN, like like a lot of political junkies are. And you know, it was a, an incredibly sad and and, and horrifying. Uh, Story that was unraveling of of Trump initially saying that he might look at background checks, which is about as far as he's gone in terms of putting any kind of, as as my colleague said, political will into this issue. And then he then he of course changed his mind. And by the time he did his prepared talk, it was it was you know it was it really wasn't at all. John's absolutely right it showed no leadership it showed no conviction it showed no um, it showed no desire to move on to this to this into this situation with any guts or determination to to end what has really become a national tragedy and you know I think looking at it from the rest of the world how Stupid and Neanderthal. America must look to people around the world, in countries where you know there's there's a complete ban on these kinds of weapons and where, you know, crime rates and 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 homicide rates have plummeted. I mean, it's not it's not a miracle. The solution is not a miracle, and the lack of will and the strength of the NRA is just appalling in my view. And uh, you know, it's easy to sit here in Canada and be a bit smug about it when we've had this terrible weekend ourselves. But, you know, on the other hand, um, we do have controls that are incredibly tighter than in the United States, not as tight as Australia obviously, or New Zealand or as Britain, but uh, they're, they're tight. And I think in the election, they're going to get tighter. So that's something maybe we can talk about, because I think it's going to be an issue in this election. And I think this what's happened in the States will trigger further discussion, obviously. So, you know, we can't escape the discussion uh, and, you know, but I don't think we should be smug and self-righteous about it, frankly.
1: Our Tuesday strategy panel, political commentator Patrick Gossage, chairman media profile, NDP strategist Kim Wright, principal Wright Strategies, and John Capobianco, senior VP and senior partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. If you're a professional, chances are you've had to sacrifice a good sleep at one point or another. Maybe you lose sleep every day. Maybe you haven't had a good night's sleep in years. Zoomer Radio's Neil Headley has been doing morning radio and television for 30 years, currently with yours truly and Sam Houston on Breakfast Radio. And he knows the reality all too well. So Neil's decided to not only help himself get a better night's sleep, he also wants to help you if you're sleep-deprived. Neil joined me on Tuesday's Fight Back along with sleep expert Dr. Mark Boulis. Associate Scientist, Sunnybrook Health Sciences Center.
5: So 30 years, I've been working these hours, getting up at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and I'm not a napper. I've never been able to... I'm not one of those people. But now, there's all this research out there that says, oh, actually, maybe that's okay, because if you're a person that can sleep anywhere, anytime, that's probably a sign that you're sleep-deprived. What? Like, there's Uh. so... much. It's such a fragile thing, sleep, but it is so incredibly important to everybody. My... Bizarre relationship with sleep started when I was a kid when I used to listen to the big pop radio stations in Toronto And um, I used to fancy myself a musician So what I would do is if you can picture this I would lie there in bed Knocking my head against the pillow I would lift it off the pillow about two inches and then put it back down to the beat of the music and so for me, at a very young age, bed wasn't about sleep. Bed was my place that I could lie there and I could rock out to the songs, sing along to the point where I irritated my parents and they would come in and make me turn the radio off. Um, but that's what bed became. And so now, all these years later... I get into bed and I, on average, according to what my Fitbit tells me, lie there for probably about two or three hours a night before I fall asleep.
1: Now, Dr. Neal is not alone, right, in his sleep deprivation.
3: That's right. I mean, you know, sleep deprivation is so common. You know, as uh, you know, as professionals, we're really stretched to. You know, the push are maximum, always urgent things come up, opportunities come up, and sometimes they just don't allow for a good sleep quality, right? And after many years of the bed not being associated really with sleep, but actually more for entertainment, you can only imagine, you know, it's, it's hard now to fall asleep, right?
1: So, Neil, after all these years of being a bad sleeper, you got to thinking about using your media background and getting into talking about it through podcasts and maybe ultimately a book.
5: So, I'm yeah, I mean, I'm turning myself into a science experiment where I'm going to be talking to people like Dr. Boulas, who doesn't know it yet, but he's about to become one of my best friends. Um, right. <laughs> my pleasure. But uh, so the podcast starts on September the 2nd. It's called The Snooze Button. Uh, the episodes of the podcast are nine minutes long. Why? Because if you hit the snooze button on your alarm clock, your alarm clock gives you nine more minutes of sleep, supposedly. In those weekly episodes, it's partly talking to people like Dr. Boulis, it's talking to uh, you know Dr. Adrian Owen that runs one of the world's great sleep labs out at uh, Western, um, and neuroscientists from all over the world. But it's also talking to. High achievers, celebrities, people who don't just have weird hours like you and I do, but they have to fall asleep in weird circumstances. What's it like to try and fall asleep in combat in a war zone? What's it like to fall asleep in orbit aboard the International Space Station? Mm -hmm. What's it like to try and fall asleep if you're the starting quarterback in the Super Bowl tomorrow?
1: And so, Neil, you're going to get these stories of of how these high achievers in unusual situations have gotten themselves to sleep. You're going to take their tips and apply them to yourself
5: as the science experiment? Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to every time I get a tip from one of these, you know, high achiever types and people from the business world, artists, whatever it is. um, And I'm going to try it myself for two weeks because I figure two weeks is probably long enough for me to be able to track. Uh, Whether or not it's actually had an impact and hopefully along the way I find some of the things that maybe work not only for me but for other people but some of the stuff that seems like just plain snake oil like I'm walking around the mall the other day and I see this thing in a store and maybe it's wonderful I have no idea yet it's a weighted blanket. And supposedly, according to the advertising, the weighted blanket's going to solve all your sleep problems, which sounds like just the biggest load of hooey to me ever. But I'm going to try it for a couple weeks. Right. And see if it works. Neil, where can we get involved with the sleep button? So there's a snooze website. Button. The there's snooze a, button. Right now, there's really a rudimentary website up at the snoozebutton.com. you got to include the the, because I don't know where it goes if it doesn't. Uh, but the and the podcast launches September the 2nd. And
1: that's when we'll start to hear how you're experimenting is going with the different uh, recommendations. We'll start to hear some um, myth busting.
5: Yeah. Around there's a ton of those. Right. One of the things I want to tackle early on with this thing is there's this myth out there that if you wake up and you're able to remember your dreams, it means you got a lot of good quality REM sleep. Good for you. No. What it means is that your brain probably didn't shut down much overnight and your brain was busy focusing on the details of whatever your dream was.
1: Zoomer Radio's Neil Headley and sleep expert Dr. Mark Bulis at the Sunnybrook Health Sciences Center. This is Zuma Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the week. Joan phoned to say she's sleepless in Oshawa. Ever since I was a teenager. I haven't been able to sleep. I'm an, I've turned into a night owl instead of a human being, for goodness sakes. I usually go to bed between uh, 12 and 2 a.m. Because if I go to bed any earlier, I just lie there. Lately, the last several months, I haven't been getting to sleep until around 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning, and I get up at 10. I seem to be functioning not too badly, but I'm by the time the afternoon comes around,
5: I'm really tired. Right. Like after lunch.
1: Bernie in Mississauga called with his opinion on the mass shootings in the U.S.
5: The United States is a country
3: rather sold. Uh, I think of all the political assassinations in the 60s, the president, Martin Luther King, Bobby Kennedy, people that might might, might have changed the direction of the country. Right now, uh, the gun manufacturers are getting off the hook. I can't see why no one is not suing these gun manufacturers for making these weapons of mass destruction in the civilian population and for sale. So um, unless the, the people come together uh, th- that they elect and uh, hold them to account, it's not gonna change because uh, there's predators and these people that are doing all these mass killings are no different than the animal king. They're predators and they, 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 they prey on the weak.
4: And
0: now, Fight Back's Knockout Call of the Week.
1: There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Lena in Etobicoke, who disagrees with U.S. President Donald Trump's message that mental illness is behind many mass shootings.
4: Many people have many different mental illnesses and they're caused by different things. And that, that is true and that has been true. And, and there's, it may be on the rise or maybe we're just more aware of it now. But mental illness is not something that you choose to have, but hatred is, or you're taught to hate, and you have to teach yourself to not be hateful. Um, So those two things, I just cringed when he was saying, kind of putting them, lumping them together, saying mental illness and hatred are the two things. I don't like that they're being lumped together, and really, yeah, the gun doesn't pull the trigger, but if there were no guns, there are no triggers to be pulled.
1: I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back.
0: The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zee Paddy, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer
3: Moses Neimer.